morning worship here at Palmetto. We are thrilled that you've gathered together to worship the risen Christ with us. It's an exciting day because we're all back together again here. So we're so glad to welcome our college students back to our worship gatherings. We've missed you while you're away. We praise God for safety and the times that were enjoyed with family and friends over the holiday. If you're visiting with us this morning or you're brand new, we are thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for joining for our worship gathering there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Uh, more than anything, we would love a chance to meet you personally and especially to tell you about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would fill that out, we have a simple gift, a gesture of hospitality that's available at our welcome desk in the back. We'd love to pass that off to you. And again, 
more than anything, we'd like to greet you personally and thank you for joining us. Uh, this, above all else, is a family gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've come to exalt him in our worship today. Uh, please be mindful of the spacing. If you can, move forward or scoot in. We want to create as much space in the auditorium as possible for those who will join us for our service. Uh, we have a special announcement today. We want to give God public thanks and praise. Ryan and Ashlyn Humberg welcomed Rhett Timothy into their family on the 9th. So praise God for a safe and healthy delivery. Let's be praying for their family that they'd be able to raise Rhett in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Uh, please w listen to our call to worship this morning. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Please join me as we invoke God's presence in our service today. Great God of glory, maker of heaven and earth, we rejoice that you have made a way for us to be welcomed and accepted into your presence through the Son and by the Spirit. And we've come today to offer ourselves in worship. Please make our worship pleasing and acceptable in your sight for the glory of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, good morning, church. Glad to see everybody out there this morning with smiling faces, ready to worship our, our great God. This morning, I get to introduce three new prospective members. Would like us to all vote on them. Uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce Michael and Amy Hornick. They're right here. They are coming, and they have two children, uh, Lily and Anna. Lilla and Anna, sorry. Lilla and Anna, you guys are there. You want to just stand up and wave? No? Okay, one. To, all right, you can sit down. All right, so Michael and Amy are coming to join with us this morning. Michael's worked at Charles Schwab, Schwab for over 20 years. He and his wife Amy are both passionate about serving with the missions and supporting missionaries. And they also are biblical counselors, would like to be involved in the counseling teams if possible. Amy is also interested in serving with the Coffee and Welcomes Ministry. Both of them have been involved in, in serving the Lord for a long time, and we're super excited to have them come and be a part of our body here. Then behind me, I believe, standing there way about is Zach, is Zach Nelson. Zach is getting his master's in biblical uh, studies at BJU and hopes one day to be a church planner. He's a songwriter, musician, and is interested in serving the worship team, AV team, or safety team, wherever he can be involved. And we're super excited about Zach coming and joining with us too. All those in favor of these three members joining, say amen. All right. Helpful to have the on button. There we go. Uh, I'm going to invite you guys to stand, and we are going to start with singing the deep love of our Father and how deep the Father's love for us. beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure 
us hearing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Continue our time of worship with singing King of Kings. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the salvation Jesus for us save you die praise the Father 
Christensen. I'm the director of our community groups here, and um, that's part of what I want to take this time to talk to you guys about. Uh, community groups are a huge part of Palmetto. It's where we have the chance to come together, grow in our relationship with Christ, but also in our relationships with one another. It's a great way for us to care for one another, to help one another uh, through trials in our times, but also through the joys. And so I just want to encourage those that are maybe not in a community group, to get involved in a community group. Easiest way to do that is you can just come talk to me uh, either before or after the service, uh, and I'd be happy to find you a community group in your area. We have uh, 15 different groups that are throughout the Greenville area. We have them up in Taylor's, we have them in Greer, we have them in Easley, Powdersville, so we can find a group that works well for you. Um, and then we also started to change to talk about the sermons on Sunday morning rather than just going through a certain book. And the benefits to that is it gives you a reason to think about the sermon throughout the week, to as Pastor Sam or whoever's preaching that week is talking and you're taking your notes, you're thinking about what are the ways that we can apply this. And then you're going to your group and you guys are really flushing that out. So what does it look like um, for us to live in a way that is seeking the kingdom? Or how do we go through trials and difficulties as a group together, but also individually, 
and we think that it's a great way to be able to go with one another and to enjoy the company of one another because we aren't meant to do this all alone. We aren't meant to just live our Christian life individually and isolated, but rather in community. And so a community group is a great way to do that. Um, if you're not able to find me before or after the service in our app, we have the section under community groups that find a community group near me. You can click on that and you'll see the list of the community groups. It'll also send you an email or send me an email that says you're looking for a group so then I can email you. I'll find your location, figure out where you're close to, and then send you a couple group options. Um, the other thing is for those that are already involved in a community group, potentially you would be interested in hosting a community group or even potentially leading a community group. And we actually have, um, we have a way to kind of flow that through so that if you're desiring to be a leader, we can go through the turbo class and you can learn, you know, what does it mean to be a leader of a community group? How do you do that? Um, and then we can plug you into a group as either an assistant leader or if there's a group that's a good fit for you, we can plug you in as a leader. So you're not having to bear the whole burden of trying to figure out how to lead a group on the fly, but you'll have the support to be able to do that. Same with those that are interested in hosting. For some people, it's like, I don't know if I can lead, but I would love to have people in my home on a night of the week. And so you're able to do that. So if you're interested in hosting, please send me an email or just connect with me again before or after the service. Um, I'd like to take the second to pray uh, for our community groups and also for some of our members and our AV team. Father, we just thank you uh, for our Palmetto and just thank you for the way that you uh, minister the word to us each week uh, through the different preachers. Uh, I pray that we would uh, seek to grow in our knowledge of you and our love for you. Um, and I pray that that would in turn bring us closer together to one another. Um, I just would like to pray for the AV team and just thank you for all that they're willing to do uh, behind the scenes and all the extra effort that um, that takes. I uh, thank you for the Munn family, for bringing them to Palmetto, for having them here, um, and just very excited that they're with us. And then I pray for uh, Hannah Bender as well, just with Medical Missions Outreach, um, and just thank you for her willingness to serve um, and just pray for her as uh, she is serving in the medical field. And then, Father, I just pray for our community groups, that as we start them up, um, that it would be a great opportunity for us to grow um, and that we would see more people get involved into the community groups, but also that our community groups would grow in depth um, and that that would be evident to all that visit. And I just thank you for all that you're doing through our church um, and just pray that we would seek to honor you and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. All right, kids, you can head to the front. Wow, look at that new slide up there. That looks really good. Now I don't have to say K-5 through 5th grade every week. It says elementary up there. Awesome. Good to see all of you. Uh, I have some questions that just test your memory from last week. Does anyone... Remember our memory verse from last week, one of the two? Those who call on. Yes, and how, how do we say it? Do you want to say it how we, we said it? Shall be saved. Oh, yeah, with some conviction. Yeah, because what we talked about was, um, so like, for example, we don't have, 
uh, Joshua, and he graduated to middle school now, but whenever I'd ask a really hard question, I know Joshua's really smart. And everyone else might have their hands down, but I know Joshua's hand was going to go up because he always knows the answer. And it's because I know Joshua, when I ask a question, I know Joshua's going to be able to answer. And it was kind of like all these names of God that we've been learning. We've been learning about who God is, and now there's situations that happen and we know how God's going to, he's going to answer. He knows. And today is a little bit different because when we know God, we respond to who he is. You can't, you can't not respond to who he, to who he is. I mean, if you're going to live uh, in his image, in his creation, you're going to respond either by ignoring him or responding to him in worship. And so say, uh, say Joshua knows the answer to a question. And I need, I need help figuring out the answer. That means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out to him. Hey, Joshua, I, I need the answer. Where are you, Joshua? I'm sorry. There he is. Awesome. Well, and just so you know, typically, typically the girls are usually, you know, the fifth grade girls are going to typically be smarter. But Joshua broke the stereotype. Good job. So when we know these things about God, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can call out with confidence because we know what he's like. We've learned about 30 names of God, 20 attributes of God. You're, you're getting to know what God is like. And the purpose of that is so that you can call out to him with conviction and know that he is a God who's faithful, who cares, who's kind. And when you call out to him to be saved and you know all these things about him, how can you say it? Will be saved. Yes. Good job. We're going to go up and and do some more of that, okay? Father, thank you so much for this time together that you've given us your word that just reveals so much about yourself. Hundreds of names that refer to you. So many stories that point to your just continued, continual faithfulness, goodness, kindness. Things about you and big words like immutability that we just know you don't change. All these great things about you um, will always be true. And so we can call out to you with um, confidence. In other words, faith. And uh, so we ask for that faith now as we, as we sing, as we have classes, that you would open our eyes to see more of who you are and we would respond to you in worship. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. It feels like a great morning to worship the Lord, guys. So let's stand. Uh, we're going to sing our song of the month, uh, Jesus Over Everything. Um, I don't care if you know it or you don't know it, just sing it. Um, people around the, the kind of off-key people just ignore it because we are praising the Lord this morning, all right? So uh, let's sing that Jesus is over everything because he surely is.
to uh, worship together this morning and uh, to pray together. Paul, thank you for uh, reminding us of the way our body meets together and uh, does life together in our different community groups. I, I really appreciate uh, Paul and Emily and the, and the work they do behind that. And I just would encourage you to, as, as he did, if you haven't connected in a community group, this is a great time to start. We're sort of doing a relaunch uh, as we do each <clears throat> year, and uh, this is a great time. You've been thinking, you know, I made some New Year's resolutions, and one of the things I'd really like to do is get a little more connected in and engaged in, and uh, our community groups are a great way to do that. And so let me just encourage you to follow up uh, with Paul and take him up on a conversation. I, I know you'll be delighted, and he'll be encouraged. So thank you for that. 
Uh, it's been a good morning, hasn't it? I mean, uh, I love this new song that we're learning. I, um, I encountered it. Somebody sent it to me, and I encountered it, and I thought, you know, there's a great message to that. There's a prayer that we pray right at the beginning of that hymn, Jesus over everything. That's a prayer. And as we cry that out to the Lord, he wants that to be true in my life and in your life. Before he can be over everything, he has to be over our hearts. He has to be over our lives. And one day he is going to come and establish a kingdom, and he will reign in that kingdom forever. And the first part of that kingdom is here. And that part of the kingdom that's here is you, and it's me. We are citizens, Paul said, that have been taken out of the realm, the kingdom of darkness, and given a permanent place and a joyful access to an entirely different realm, an entirely different kingdom. And that realm, that kingdom, Paul describes, is the kingdom that belongs to his dear son. And so I want to ask you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 6 because we're going to talk about one aspect of life that has to do with that kingdom and with our lives as the first and primary expression of that kingdom here and now in our day and in our age. So let me kind of set the context for what we're going to be doing this morning, and then I want us to go to a very familiar portion of what you and I know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon ever preached. It's the only sermon in its entirety that we have in our Bible that Jesus delivered. It's not the only sermon that Jesus delivered. It's certainly not the only teaching that Jesus gave. And we have uh, the teaching of Jesus and even portions of his different sermons located throughout our Gospels. And the apostles will sometimes refer back to things that Jesus said. So I don't want to imply that he only gave this sermon, but it's the only sermon that we have of Jesus in its entirety in our Bible. One commentator I was reading said it this way, it is the most familiar sermon in the world. It is the least understood sermon in the world, and it certainly is not one that is fully applied in any of our lives. And so this morning as we look at this sermon, I want us to ask the Lord to help us to understand it well and to apply it personally uh, in our lives. You say, well, why are we going to Matthew chapter 6 when I was thinking we were going back to the book of Daniel? We are going back to the book of Daniel. We are going to pick up our series. But if you'll remember last January, the elders and spiritual leaders of our congregation deemed it wise and useful for our church to receive instruction from God's word about the gracious opportunity and the spiritual responsibility that God sets before us as believers and as members of his uh, body and as regular attenders and members of the expression of that body here at Palmetto. And that opportunity and that responsibility is to be people whose lives are marked by grace-enabled, radical generosity. And if you remember last year, we took four Sundays and we talked about what it meant, what it looked like, and how God might help us to become radically generous in our lives, not just with our money, but with everything about our lives. And so 
I was uh, privileged to do two of those messages, and Bert Arrowwood uh, did two of those messages, and the Lord did some amazing things. I mean, here's what happened. He supplied just like he promised, and you engaged just like you committed to do at the end end of that series. And so as elders, as we reflected back on that and as we saw the effect of that in our church over the last year, we wanted to take two Sundays and we wanted to thank God publicly for the work that he so obviously did in our lives through his word. And then we wanted to thank him for helping us to be radically generous as a congregation. And we wanted to thank you for your faithfulness and your willingness to take a step of faith that many of you took last year to ask the Lord to supply abundantly above what you had so that you could be radically generous with your time and your resources so that you could advance the work of God here. And so I just want to publicly thank you on behalf of the elders for having Uh, done what the Spirit of God worked in you to do. And so as we were talking about this spring, uh, the elders deemed it wise that we would take another step in our understanding of biblical stewardship, and that would involve listening carefully, understanding accurately, and applying personally a very radical statement that Jesus made at the climax of the sermon that I called your attention to. And all of you know the verse I'm about to quote for you. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, as the sermon is coming to its climax, Jesus said to his disciples, to the first members of a new kingdom that he was announcing, he said this, as your chief priority, as your primary focus, as citizens of this kingdom, here is what I want you to do. Seek First, what? You remember this verse? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when that's true in your life, here's what God has promised to do. And all these things will be added to you. Can we say that little expression together? We'll say it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we'll take a little pause. And then we'll come back to the promise part of that, and all these things will be added to you. I think sometimes it's helpful for us to articulate with our mouth and meditate in our minds on something this important. So let's say it together. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We want to pause there and just think about that for a minute. And then Jesus said, when you do that, when your life has as its chief priority and its primary focus, the advancing, the seeking of his kingdom and his righteousness, then here's the promise. God said he would what? All these things will be added to you. And so what does that text mean? This morning, I want to begin just a very brief reminder of this important uh, concept by attempting to answer the question, What does that text mean, and how should it be applied in our life? And I'm going to do that out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And then next Sunday, Bert Arrowwood is going to come back, 
and he is going to take a look at how to apply that truth well in our lives as kingdom citizens by looking at a parable the Lord taught in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So that's what we're going to do for this Sunday and next. And I'm going to submit to you that if we're really going to understand what Jesus meant when he said, make as your chief priority and your primary focus the seeking of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if we're really going to understand that, uh, we have got to come to the context of the statement. In other words, that statement did not come in a long list of suggestions or commands or applications or exhortations that Jesus just kind of strung together to give his followers so that they could have a better life in the kingdoms of the world where they were living. In other words, this sermon was not given to make the life of the people hearing it better. It was, it, was, it was intended by God to reorient their life entirely so that they could live in one realm as citizens of another. They became primarily citizens of a different realm, of a different kingdom, and they were assigned as ambassadors, as representatives of that kingdom in the realms in which they lived. And you can see that right away as Matthew opens up the sermon and Jesus starts talking about their character in the Beatitudes, their calling as salt and light, the conduct that should flow out of them uh, in, the end, at the, in the rest of Matthew chapter 5. So this sermon is the context for the statement. But what led up to the sermon? I mean, the sermon doesn't just drop out of nowhere. Matthew says, all right, you know, I, I, got, I got all the way through chapter 4. Now what do I do next? Uh, I know, let's drop a sermon in here. It'd be a good place to hear from Jesus. That's not how this went. When you get to the sermon, it is the next thing in a, in a very carefully orchestrated progression that Matthew began all the way back in chapter 1. And so I'm going to suggest to you that as you get to the sermon, you've already had three big things happen. Matthew begins by presenting the joy-filled arrival of somebody. And the somebody is Messiah. And we saw that as we looked at our Advent series in Matthew chapters 1 and 2. The person who arrived is none other than the son of Abraham and the son of David. We found out that he had a unique mission, and he is given a name, Jesus, to symbolize that mission. Every time you and I hear the name Jesus, God inspired Matthew so that we would always remember something about his mission. Jesus came to redeem his people, to save his people from their sins. Paul is going to say, that's how you got taken out of the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus saved you from your sins, you got taken out of the kingdom of darkness. So we found out that he was not just the savior of the world. We actually found out that through Jesus, God intended to dwell personally with his people. And that was the name Emmanuel. And so there is the joy-filled arrival of this Messiah. And then there is an affirmation of his identity. 
Because as we started looking at the end of chapter 2, we discovered that Jesus, Emmanuel, was actually being cast in our eye as a new Israel and a new Moses. And now all of a sudden, he's doing a much bigger thing than just delivering us from our sin. He is fulfilling an entire role that God gave to Old Testament Israel, and he is bringing a long-awaited covenant. And the affirmation for all of this comes in chapters 3 and 4. So we learn who he is in chapters 1 and 2, and the affirmation or confirmation of that is in, two, is in chapters 3 and 4. What happens in chapters 3 and 4? Well, he's baptized. And as soon as he's baptized, God says, I want the world to know that this one is my beloved son. There was a beloved son in the Old Testament, and God told Moses, you go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my son Israel go. And here at the baptism, there is an affirmation that a new and better son has arrived. And he is going to do what the old son could not do. So the baptism affirms his identity as the new son. Well, how do you know he's going to accomplish that? Well, what happens next in chapter 4? He is immediately driven into the wilderness for how many days? 40 days. How many days was that old son Israel in the wilderness? 40 years. What happened to them in the wilderness? They were tested. What happened as they were tested? They repeatedly what? The book of Numbers is the story of the outcome of that test blow by blow. 13 times in the book of Numbers, they failed the test. And an entire generation is told because of their unbelief, you can't go in. Well, here is the new son in Matthew 3, and in Matthew 4, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tested, and how does he fare? How does, what is the outcome of that testing? And the answer is what? Full obedience by faith in the Word of God. And so now we have this identity confirmed and affirmed, and the next thing Jesus does is he gathers together, he summons 12 apostles. How many tribes were in Israel? Are you starting to make some connections here? He summons 12 tribes and you are 12 tribes. He summons 12 apostles. And if you want to know what these apostles are going to do, they are one day going to sit on thrones with him and they are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. That's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. So by the time you get to the end of chapter 4, you know who Jesus is. You know exactly what he's come to do as the new Israel and the new Moses with a new covenant. You see that he's identified and affirmed by the Father. He is tested by the Spirit, and he has summoned together 12 apostles, and then he does something. He starts announcing a sermon. He starts preaching a sermon, and what he preaches in the sermon is the arrival of a kingdom. Look at the end of chapter 4, and you can see this. Verse 23 of chapter 4, he went through all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He is heralding out that the kingdom that has come from heaven has arrived. 
And here are its first citizens, 12 men who are going to one day sit on thrones, and from that kingdom, they are going to rule the world. And you take a look at these men, and you're like, those can't be the guys. I mean, I must be looking at the wrong crew here um, because I, I, you know, there's a fisherman. There's a couple of fishermen, actually. There's a tax collector, and you start looking at this sort of ragtag group of people, and you wonder how in the world are they going to ever sit on any kind of throne, much less thrones over Israel, much less thrones that are going to end up ruling the world with this Messiah. And the sermon is the answer to that question. How are these people going to ever be the kind of people that can advance the kingdom that Jesus just announced? And Jesus goes up to the mountain like Moses went up to the mountain. He sits down and he receives revelation from the Father and he gives it to people like us. And the first thing out of his mouth is this, blessed, approved. There is a divine approval on these people, and he starts talking about their character. He starts talking about their calling as salt and light. He starts talking about their outer conduct. In chapter 5, he starts talking about their religious orientation and devotion in the first part of chapter 6, and then he comes to the very end of chapter 6, and he says, now let me tell you about their chief priority and their primary focus in life. It is the pursuit of of a kingdom and its righteousness. So here's my question to, to you, and you ought to ask you ought to be asking this question to me. Are we marked with that pursuit? If people get around us and hang out with us over coffee or or just do life with us for a month or two, you know, we hang out, we go out to eat, you come over, I come over. And at the end of the month, you start saying, okay, I've spent, I've spent a month with Pastor Sam or whoever. Would you, would you absolutely be able to say, as you spent that time with me, this guy is about the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter where we start, we're going to end there. It doesn't matter how we sort of maneuver things, we're always going to end up with some kind of conversation or some kind of activity or some kind of orientation that advances the kingdom of God and indicates that it's always on his mind. It's the chief pursuit of his life. It is the primary focus of what he thinks about. And I think I would be less than honest this morning to say this. I think if most of you spent a month with me, you would not come to that conclusion. You might come to some other conclusions. He's all about this. They got this going on in their life, and that's dominating what's going on in their life, and they got this issue going on. And, and so when you get around him and you talk to him, this is really what's going on in his life. This is what's occupying his mind, and this is the passion of his heart for this moment. And Jesus looks at people like me, and I use me as an example because I don't want to use you. He uses people like us and looks at people like us and he says, now I want you to put all of that on pause and here's what I want the chief focus of your life to be, the primary focus of your life and its chief priority and it is my kingdom. It is the kingdom that I 
put you in. When I took you out of the realm of darkness, I put you in a kingdom. That's Colossians 1, uh, 13. And when I put you into that kingdom, I want that kingdom and its righteousness to be the chief priority of your life. I want it to be the primary focus of what you think about. I have to admit, when I was working through this uh, passage and I was sort of reading the different people that wrote, and there are a ton of people who wrote a Sermon on the Mount, there were two or three commentators who, who I just had to put down and I just had to come back to because they were so piercing about how they approached this. D.A. Carson was one of them. A guy named Doriani was another one. I just hardly could read those books because every time I turned a page, it was just a a, a real evidence to me by the Spirit. I I really think it was the Spirit of God reminding me this is a kingdom that, that is of utmost importance to Jesus and it is so low in your priority list at times that it's hardly even recognizable. And if that's true for me, I'm sure that it's true for all of us. And so here's my question this morning. How do we become the kind of people, as citizens of this kingdom, how do we become the kind of people where that kingdom becomes really our primary focus and our chief pursuit? Where it's not just something we add in and, oh, yeah, we're going to church on Sunday, and, oh, yeah, i got to write my tithe check or whatever we do, where this actually becomes the dominant force in our thinking and in our living. And for that to happen, as we look at this text, there's so many ways we could take the text this morning. I just want to do four. I want to show you four commitments that you and I have to make if the kingdom of God is going to become our chief priority and our primary focus. And here's the first. The first of those commitments is in verse 19, and it goes all the way down to verse 21, where Jesus introduces the first teaching that's designed to get us to become like this. And the first teaching is a teaching about treasure. And so the first thing that has to happen for me and for you, if we're really going to be the kind of people where the kingdom of God is our chief priority and our primary focus, is we're going to have to cultivate, embrace, display unqualified loyalty and allegiance to the values of this kingdom. Let me say it again. We're going to have to embrace, cultivate, display, whatever words you want to use there, we're going to have to do and be people who have unqualified loyalty and allegiance to the values of this kingdom. Jesus said it this way, do not treasure up. I know your English Bible says lay up, but the word is actually treasure up. Do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a paragraph on treasure. Five times in the text, if you take that word lay up and realize it's actually treasure up, five times in the text, We are going to see Jesus talk about treasure. Let me put it to you this way. It's the one place in your New Testament 
where the word treasure occurs more than any other place in this kind of concentrated form. If you want to know what Jesus uh, would teach us about the material possessions of our life, this is the paragraph we should be looking at. And here's what Jesus said. Do not strive. Do not labor with all of your strength and with all of your energy. Do not make it as your chief pursuit and your primary focus. Do not strive to treasure up for yourselves treasure on earth. Note the location. But instead, treasure up, use all of your energy, use all of your strength to accumulate retain and use resources for a very different kingdom. These are very, very strong words that Jesus is saying. Now, let me just be very clear here. He is not, Jesus is not prohibiting the owning of possessions. He is not prohibiting the the pursuit of earnings. He's not prohibiting that. In fact, the rest of the New Testament is going to speak to those things. So if you walk away from this text and say we shouldn't own possessions and we shouldn't have wealth and we shouldn't work hard to accumulate more possessions and more wealth, you are missing the lesson of the treasure that Jesus is trying to teach. The lesson of the treasure is not in the fact that somebody is working hard, that he is devoting all of his time and all of his energy and all of his focus and the strength of his life to the pursuit of a treasure. That's not the problem. And the problem is not the treasure. The problem is not that somehow material possessions or wages are inherently wrong. The problem comes when you are doing that for the wrong kingdom. Jesus is looking at people and he is saying, you want treasure. You know, treasure is an interesting word, isn't it? It it isn't just a word describing how we think about wealth or possessions. It's a word that describes how we feel about them. You know, if you have something that you value and you love and you have deep affection for, it is a treasure. Do you realize a person can be a treasure? We say that sometimes, don't we? Look at somebody like our wife or a husband or one of our children. We say, you are just a treasure from the Lord. And there's an emotion tied to that. So when Jesus uses this word, it's intentional. He wants you to think about the fact that there there is a pursuit that you will gladly engage in because of the way you feel about the thing you're pursuing. And the thing you're pursuing in this case is treasure. And Jesus is saying, now look, as citizens of this kingdom, you are going to live with people who spend their entire life and their entire energy and their entire force. They will sacrifice everything in the pursuit of this treasure. And the treasure that I'm talking about is this world's possessions, this world's goods. And he's going to use it all. He's going to use a word for all of it called mammon. Our word would be money. Money in our economy is just pieces of paper or little parts of gold or silver. And and literally, they have no inherent value other than what they can purchase. 
or what they can bring into your life. If I have enough of this kind of paper, I can get a really nice car. You know, if I, if I could just treasure up enough of these kinds of coins made out of that metal, I will never, ever have to worry about a recession again. And so when you think about somebody treasuring up something, they are treasuring up material goods and possessions because of how they feel about what those things can do for them. That's why the idea for yourselves is in the text. And Jesus is looking at the very first citizens of a kingdom he has just announced, and he said, now when you spend your life treasuring up like that, don't treasure up the things that you're treasuring up for use in the kingdom so that you can make your life better, more comfortable, or easier. Use those things for a very different uh, uh, kingdom. Because if you put them to, to use primarily for what you want to get in this kingdom, I want you to know at the end, you are going to suffer a great loss. If you treasure up your treasure for the earthly kingdom, it will be destroyed. Moth, rust, and thieves will go at it. And he was using illustrations in the first century that everybody understood. If you had a fine silk garment and you treasured it up in the wrong place and you went to get it, you would find nothing left because the moths had eaten it. If you treasured up grain and uh, and you put it away and all of a sudden you went to find it, you would find it had been consumed by the vermin. That's the idea of rust. Rust is not so much talking about what happens to your car. It's a word that means consume. The treasure that you have treasured up will be consumed by all kinds of things. And when you go to find it, it'll be gone. It'll be ruined. Or thieves will dig through the earth wall of your house where you've stored it in that secret chamber. And they will take it out. And when you go to find it, it will be gone. And so Jesus said, you're going to need something different. You're going to need to be treasuring up your treasures for a different kind of kingdom. It's the kingdom that I just announced. And the reason this is important is what we just observed about the word treasure. It's a, it's a feeling word. It's a heart word. And that's why Jesus said, if you tell me where you're storing up your treasure and how you're using your treasure, I will tell you where your heart is oriented. If your heart is oriented primarily to the kingdom of the, uh, of the world where, where, where you live and you want to be successful in that kingdom and you want to be comfortable in that kingdom, then that's where your heart is. But if I look at how you are storing up your treasure and what you're using it for and it is for the kingdom of God, then that is where your heart is. And so let me ask you a question as you think about what Jesus is saying do you have unqualified loyalty to the values of the kingdom that he's announcing? And the answer is, well, pastor, I don't know. I think I do. And Jesus would say, where are you putting your treasure? How are you using your treasure? So that's commitment number one. Unqualified loyalty and allegiance to the values of the kingdom is the very first commitment I need to make 
as a citizen of that kingdom, if that kingdom is really going to be my chief priority and my primary pursuit. But that's followed by a second commitment. And that second commitment is in verses 22 through 24. And that is this. It's not enough to treasure up my treasure and use it for the right kingdom. I will never be able to do that in any kind of sustained, joyful way until I have unadulterated love and undivided affection for the Lord of that kingdom. It's not enough to decide as a Christian, okay, I'm in a new realm, I'm part of a new kingdom, and I need to start using my resources that I'm accumulating and working hard for to advance that kingdom. That's not enough. In other words, I will never sustain that if I don't have a second commitment. And the second commitment is this. I need to have unadulterated love and undivided affection for the Lord of that kingdom. And Jesus is going to use two illustrations to teach that to us. He's going to use the illustration about two kinds of vision, and he's going to then bring that illustration to bear on the idea of serving two different lords. And so he starts off with the first of those lessons that are, 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 are there to remind us that seeking God's kingdom first means we have to have an unadulterated love that comes out of unclouded vision. And he starts talking about two kinds of eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, everything that happens uh, with regard to how you use your body is some way connect is in some way connected to your vision in normal life. And so the state of your eye is going to have bearing on the state of your life. And that's the idea of the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, if it is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And here's the problem when darkness is in your life. It will be a very great darkness. So what is a good eye and what is a bad eye? What is a healthy eye and what is a bad eye? And you and I sort of live in an era where we wear these or we have contact lenses. And so we typically think of a good eye as a guy that is an eye that is healthy. It sees well. It's not got an astigmatism. It doesn't have, you know, lack of vision. It doesn't need to be corrected. And a bad eye is somehow an eye that, that has to have some kind of vision wear or, or that kind of thing. And I'm suggesting to you that's not what Jesus has in mind here when he talks about your eye. A good eye in the Old Testament was marked by generosity. You could, you could describe a person's feeling about wealth by saying to them they have a generous eye. Or you could, you could say about that same person, about their feeling toward wealth, now don't expect them to be very generous. They have a grudging eye. They have a stingy eye. They have a bad eye. You say, well, where in the world are you getting this? Well, right next to the teaching on the eye, write down this reference, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 10. Let me just read it to you, and you see if you can spot the eye here. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, this is Moses talking to Israel, in any of your towns within the land that the Lord has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand, 
against your poor brother, but you will open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And here's the warning in verse 9. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. What was that unworthy thought? Ah, the seventh year, the year of debt release is almost here. And if I give that money to him or I loan that money to him, I'm not going to get it back because that year of release is almost here. That's, that's what Moses is saying. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought of your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry up to the Lord against you and you become guilty of sin. You see the connection here? Jesus is saying when it comes to the earthly possessions that you labor so hard to accumulate, to earn, to store up, do not have a stingy, grudging, tight-fisted eye with the use of those possessions for the kingdom that God has called you to be a part of. Man, I, you know, this is what I got, and, and, and I just don't want to give this away. And that's how Jesus is talking here. And he is saying, you will never be the kind of person that seeks first the kingdom of God if you have that kind of an eye toward your possessions. And you know what? You and I will have that kind of an eye toward our possessions when we have a certain eye toward God. If we see God primarily as a taker, a demander, he takes things from us. He demands our time. He demands our talents. He demands our treasure. He insists that we serve him. We are going to have a certain eye toward him. And it's going to be very tight-fisted. Because we don't see God as a giver. We see God as a taker. But if we see God as a radically generous giver who gives abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, who gives to us pressed down and, and tamped down and overflowing, and he doesn't withhold any good thing from us. If we see God like that, if that's our eye toward God, then our eye toward our treasure will become like him. And the reason that's so important is because what our eye sees is going to affect how our heart feels toward our master. And that's the second thing that Jesus uses in this little section. He says this, there is a reality that you need to look at. Look at verse 24. Depending on your eye, you're going to be tempted to do something with regard to your master. In verse 24 of the text, he says this, nobody can slave, that's the word for serve, nobody can slave for two lords. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. So in this text, there are two kind of eyes, but now there are two kind of lords. And whichever kind of eye you have is going to put you in a place where you're going to try to do one of two things. Because no matter, no matter where you start, here's what we've got to realize. Jesus is talking to people who are in a kingdom and they belong to him. So he is their Lord. And he is saying to them, because of your eye, you have given yourself to another Lord. 
This is not prohibiting having two jobs. Some of you in here have two or three jobs. And sometimes you read a verse like this or hear somebody like me talk and you're like, you know, I feel like I'm violating Scripture. This is not prohibiting having more than one job. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that you cannot devote yourself as a lifelong servant, a lifelong slave to two masters. And you already have a master. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Paul says throughout Romans. We already have a master. We already have a Lord. We have already become his bountiful, uh, entered into his bountiful kingdom, and we have, we have become his servants. Now, we're also sons. I want to make sure we hear that. But in this text, Jesus is saying, you are my servants. You, you are to slave for my kingdom. And you can't do that if you are also slaving for the other kingdom. You cannot set it up so that you have voluntarily given yourself as a lifelong, totally devoted slave to two different masters. You can't do that. And the two masters that are put out here for us are God and mammon, God and money. Either you will love the one or you will hate, reject the other. Now, you and I know people who slave joyfully for the pursuit of money. They will do anything to get money. They are willing to work 80 hours a week to get money. They will do anything to get the next promotion. They will do anything to get the next car or the next house. And they will, they will sacrifice their family. They will sacrifice their marriage. They will sacrifice their health. And sometimes they will even sacrifice their morals and their integrity because they are slaving after money. And you live right next to those people. They live two houses down from you. You park in the same parking lot. You climb the same stairs or ride the same elevator up to your office that they ride. You work in the same gym where they work out. And all around you are people who to different levels have given themselves diligently and passionately and totally to the pursuit of this world's goods and treasures. And right in the middle of them, God has put salt and light in the form of a person who is living for an entirely different kingdom. An entirely different kingdom. And the reason you live for that kingdom is not because you're hoping to get some advantage. It is because you love the king. That's why you do it. Let me give you a little illustration I think that might help us and then we'll move quickly and that is this. You know, think about what happens if you walked into your company and, and your boss uh, said to everybody, we're going to have a meeting at 10 o'clock and so everybody comes together at 10 o'clock and you find out that your company has done unbelievably well and everybody's going to get a $25,000 bonus. We deposited in your bank account yesterday. You go back to your computer you check your account, and there is $25,000. Everybody's buzzing. 
at lunch around the coffee break room. Everybody's talking. And they're all talking about what they're going to do with that $25,000 that they didn't expect to get. What do you think they're talking about? Man, I'm so glad. My wife's always wanted to go on a cruise. I'm booking that cruise as soon as we get home. It's going to be awesome. Other guy says, I'm not going to tell my wife I got this. I'm, I'm, I got other plans for this. I got a boat and a, and a fishing, you know, fishing and, and a couple of rifles I've been looking at and some hunting stuff. And, uh, and, and this is just a bonus. And so go, I'm getting a car. I'm going to do this. And they come to you and you say, well, I am, I, I've been praying. Our, our church uh, is, is thinking about getting into a, a building program. And I'm so excited about this 25. I'm going to give it to my church. What do you think everybody else is going to, they're going to look at you and say, what are you thinking? All of it? You get all that 25? Yeah. That's what I do. And all of a sudden, you just saw in a little illustration the difference between two different people living in the same world, but they are living for two different realms. There's a missionary that I've been praying for. And they have a project, and my heart's been in that project, and I'm going to take that $25,000, and I'm going to put it to that project. I mean, it's just a very different way of thinking. How did that happen? And the answer is those people have the third commitment, and the third commitment is this. They have confidence in the goodness of God toward his children in that kingdom. And if you look at verses 25 through 32, Jesus introduces another major section, and he says, stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Six times in this little section, he's going to talk about the word anxiety, and he's going to tie it to what we do when we look at our resources that we work so hard to get, and we look at our needs, and then we look at the kingdom, and we realize if I use these resources for that kingdom, I'm not going to have enough to eat. I'm not going to have enough to buy what I need to wear. I'm not going to have enough to drink. And if I don't eat and drink, I am going to absolutely lose my life. And Jesus says, now, I'm not asking that you treasure up your treasures for heavenly use without being good to you with your needs. And so he uses the illustrations that you're very familiar with. He says, look at the flowers and look at the birds. And then he says, look at the Gentiles. Look at the flowers and look at the birds and then look at the Gentiles. Now, why does he tell us to do that? Why are we looking at flowers and birds when our heart is just trying to figure out how in the world we're supposed to obey Jesus and live and have any kind of life in this world? And Jesus says, well, look at the birds, look at the flowers, and then look at the Gentiles. And the point he's making is this. The birds are part of his creation, and he is good to care for them. And you're not just a creature. You're an image bearer. And if God is going to take a creature he created that's not an image bearer and clothe it and feed it, what do you think he's going to do with his image bearers? And if that's not enough, look at the Gentiles who are also image bearers and they have no relationship to God and they're slaving away for the very things you're worried about because their gods can't provide it and you have a very different relation to God than these Gentiles. You have a very different relationship to the God of the kingdom than the creatures around you, and you have a very different relationship to the God of the kingdom than the people around you. 
You are his image bearer and you are his children. And the God who clothes the creatures and cares for the creatures will care for you. And the God who is going to care for his children will care for you because you are his child. So stop being anxious. The reason that I'm anxious is because I really don't think that my heavenly father is going to take care of me. And isn't that the point in verse 30? He says, you have little faith. The word there is weak. This is not talking about the size of your faith. Jesus later said, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed and it'll move a mountain. He's talking here about the strength of your faith, the condition of your faith. And you have become so wrapped up by anxiety that you have forgotten that God has made promises to you. And when you remember those promises, you are not able to believe them because you are so wrapped up in trying to figure out how I can hang on to these little resources that I desperately need because I need to figure out how to pay my taxes and I need to figure out how to put gas in my car and I need to figure out how to buy food next week. And Pastor Sam, when you get up and start talking about this kingdom stuff, that's well and good, but you need to come to my house and look in my fridge. You need to come in my house and look at the condition of my car and then talk to me about the kingdom. And I'm going to say to you, I'm not going to talk to you about the kingdom. I'm going to take your eye to a very different place. I want you to look up there, and I want you to see you sitting on that throne, and he's your father. He's your father. And that brings us to the final thing, and that is this. When we actually have a good eye, a good eye is not just a good eye that's generous with our belongings. A good eye is a good eye because of where it's looking. And when we see God as a radically generous father, then it's very easy to have an unrestrained pursuit of the priorities of his kingdom. You say, what are those priorities? Well, he taught them to you in a prayer earlier in chapter 6. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Pray this way. First request, hallowed be thy name. Lord, exalt yourself. Second request, thy kingdom come. Lord, extend your authority in the lives of people. Third request, thy will be done on earth, just like it's being done in heaven. That's what God is concerned about. You say, well, God, if if I'm going to do that, I need food, I need clothes, I need gas. If I'm going to exalt your name and extend your kingdom and do your will, I'm going to need daily bread. And God says, ask for it and I'll give it to you. I'm going to need pardon for all the times I mess up. Ask for it and I'll give it to you. I'm going to need protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. God says, ask me and I'll deliver you. That prayer that we just saw in chapter 6, verses 9 through 14, is the way that we shape our lives so that we are seeking the kingdom of God first and foremost. You say, well... I really don't know that that applies to me because I have so little of this world's wealth. You know what Paul said? Paul said a really shocking thing. He said, you charge people who are wealthy with this world's wealth to not be haughty. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything we need. 
You say, well, that's good, Pastor. I'm not rich. Can I just suggest something to you? If you are sitting here in a chair this morning, you are occupying the most wealthy spot on the planet. Most of you in this room would qualify to be unbelievably wealthy in the eyes of most of the world. More than 95% of the world's population do not have nearly the kind of wealth every one of you, including students, have. So you are wealthy. We are wealthy. And God says, let me talk to you about your wealth. Use that wealth for the sake of the kingdom. You say, well, how can I do that? Let me, can I give you four things just quickly? We'll put them up on the screen, the very last slide. You can advance that, please. If you have not yet developed a commitment to giving sacrificially and regularly out of your resources to advance God's kingdom, can I suggest to you that you take what you've heard this morning and go home and say, God, help me to have a good eye. Help me to value the values of your kingdom. Help me to be treasuring up the things I need for life so that I can use them for your kingdom. And if you have not yet developed as a Christian the habit of regular joyful giving to the Lord's work at your church, can I suggest to you that 2024 might be a good year to start that? You say, well, Pastor, I did that last year, and it was amazing, and I'm thankful. Can I give you a little challenge? Could you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you provided so that I could give in 2023. Would you give me more so that I could give more in 2024? You say, you know, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm good with the money side. What about saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to give of my time there's a ministry here that I've been interested in that I desperately needs help, and I think I could help. We had 80 men show up yesterday because a couple of men decided, I want to use my time, and I want to invest it in the larger value of the kingdom. And one of those men was there for the very first time. Maybe you might say, I want to use my voice <clears throat> I want to use my voice. I'm going to use my time. I'm going to use my, my, my treasure. I'm going to serve, but I want to use my voice. And how, how can I use my voice? And the answer is, would you tell somebody about Jesus and his kingdom this year? And I don't mean just once. Would you tell somebody about this kingdom and about Jesus this year? You want to know how to live for the kingdom? That's how. May the Lord help us to be the kind of people whose chief pursuit and primary focus is the advancement of the kingdom of which King Jesus has made us a part. Lord, thank you that we can come together. Thank you that this word <clears throat> has been so clear to us. It's a verse we've talked about our whole life as Christians. Not a one of us here could not almost quote it by memory. But Lord, we need for this verse to do more than just shape our memory. It needs to reorient our life. It needs to reorient our heart. We want to be the kind of people who have undivided loyalty and allegiance to the values of your kingdom. We, we want to have an uh, un unadulterated love for you, the king. We want to have unqualified trust in your goodness, and we want to have unrestrained pursuit in the use of our lives for this kingdom. And Lord, we need your help for that. And we'll pray these things in Jesus' name.
All right, I want to invite you guys to uh, stand as we worship with the last song. Um, this song, we all know Jesus paid it all. God is so outrageously generous that he gave his only son so that our, his mercy could be new every day uh, because he paid it all. So remember this classic song. Um, remember the, the truth behind it and just honor God as we close with this song.
Well, we're going to be dismissed to our quip hour in just a few moments. But before that, let me give you a few announcements of all that's happening in January here at Palmetto. There's a lot happening. And so uh, please take note. First of all, thank you for all those that came out uh, and all that were involved with the men's breakfast yesterday morning. It was an awesome morning with 80 guys. And uh, uh, Nate, Nathan Doney as well uh, spoke for us. And then Matt Bronkema, he did a lot of uh, planning and so thankful for um, just the time that we had with that. This evening at 6 o'clock, there's a young adult Christmas party. So if you're in that category, make sure you plan to be there next Sunday, the 21st. There's a uh, junior high, senior high activity. See Pastor Garrett for more details about that. And then on Thursday, January 25th at 7 o'clock, there's a woman's uh, ministry uh, activity. It is dessert and coffee fellowship. It's at the Nacelli's home. And no need to RSVP, but if um, cheesecakes are needed. So if you're bringing a cheesecake, please sign up in the app or contact Clara Bixby, and that would be very helpful. So there is a um, need for cheesecakes, and so uh, please drop them off in my office, and then I'll make sure I get them to the right spot. All right, just make sure you're awake. And then, uh, if you could, with that activity, make sure you carpool, and that would be uh, that would be great. There's limited parking, so try to coordinate with another lady that's going and, uh, and uh, carpool. On uh, January, Sunday, January 28th, we're going to be having our PBC 101 class. Now, we originally said that it was going to be starting today. We wanted to give it a couple more weeks to make sure that we got out the word about what PBC 101 is and that it's starting in a few weeks. So if you're new around here, we have a class that we'd love for you to, part, uh, be, to be a part of, it, learning about uh, who we are and why Palmetto exists. And so I would invite you to be a part of that class if you're new around here, and maybe maybe you've been here for a long time, you should go through it too. And uh, that class will be starting on January 28th, and so let me invite you to be a part of that. And um, and really, if you could, um, there's if you receive the e-news, you can RSVP in the e-news or talk to Pastor Coco. Pastor Coco, raise your hand. You can talk to him. He leads that class. And make sure you um, go to that class. And really the reason, just let us know, is so that we can make sure we have enough donuts. So please uh, uh, please attend that class if you are new around here. Well, today, like I said, we're going to be starting our Equip Hour classes today. And we have a few adjustments from what's on the screen. Uh, today, our young and engaged couples class isn't going to be meeting. Our two teachers are away. Uh, Doug Abel's got stuck in uh, Kansas City. He's flying back this afternoon because of the snowstorm. So if you are young and uh, uh, young married, engaged couple that typically go to Doug Abel's or Kirk Henslerling's class, you can actually join the two other classes that we have right here in the front. They're wonderful classes. And I encourage you to be part of it. So let me tell you what classes are happening. First of all, we've got our Spanish class that's happening with Jairo and Mark Vowles. And then um, a theology of leadership class is taking place. I believe T.C. Robertson is leading that today. And then there is, uh, over here on the right, there's a class called From Conquest to Kingdom. And we're going to be uh, going through a finishing up in uh, 2 Samuel today and uh, next week. And I believe uh, Peter Cushman's is going to be teaching that class. And then 
Jonathan West and Bruce Meyer, their class is meeting right over here as they finish up in the book of Philippians. And then uh, there is, for all you college students, uh, college class over at PBC Maine with Burt Arrowwood and the team. And then uh, there is a young, uh, young adults class over there as well. If you don't know where to go, just come see me right in the front and I can give you some directions. Uh, I, I uh, end up being a good signpost of where to go. So hopefully everyone knows that there is a place for them. Now, just a reminder, as we tear down, make sure we don't drag the chairs. We love how the floor looks, so stack them and then wait for the dollies, and we'll uh, pull them and put them in the right spot. Well, we are so grateful for how the Lord is providing and, and providing for the property, the new property that we voted on last week with a 94% uh, acceptance rate, so praise the Lord for that. And uh, the monies that's come in for that has been truly astonishing and so grateful and, um, and we're thankful for how you have given. Well, let me read our doxology uh, for us today. It is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. It says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You are dismissed. See you in a quip hour in just a few moments. Yeah. 